Welcome to the Scouting Report. I'm your host, Bryant Sterzala, the Special Event Scout. In each episode, it is my goal to sit down with entertainment acts and event professionals from across the industry to learn a little bit about what they do, how we can use them at our next event, and we pick up some fun tips and stories along the way. Hello, this is Bryant Strzala, the Special Event Scout, and this is the Scouting Report Episode 2. In the first episode, I interviewed Ryan Oaks, an illusionist who is based out of Brooklyn, New York. Uh, Today, I'm going to be with uh, Miss Heather Parcells, who was a former co-worker of mine. Um, She's a good friend, and she was also a Broadway star. (laughs) And we're going to talk about uh, how she's been used at an event as a performer, life on stage, and how that relates to events. But first, I kind of want to get to know Heather a little bit more. So when we start talking about the event world, she has a, you can see exactly how credible she is. All right, and so I'm going to turn the mic over to Heather, and we'll start. Thanks, Brian. He has no idea what he's in for right now. <laughs> so what do you need to know from me? Well, who are you? Well, I can tell you as I am like right now, um, I am a year-old <laughs> female in Manhattan. I've been a musical theater performer. I teach dance classes, acting classes. Um, I also teach audition technique classes for voice. I dance regularly. I audition regularly. Regularly, I've been in four shows this year alone. Um, uh, basically, I'm a, kind of a jack of all trades. I want to say a master of some, um, but I've definitely been a, um, a performer mainly the, my adult career. I've done a lot of other things on the side because as actors in New York City, unfortunately, you have to find ways to get through and make it happen. And I didn't want to just be one of those people that waited tables and bartended. I actually tried that. I was horrible at it. I'm a terrible bartender. Question. So that's quite a bit of stuff you do. And as we talked about, or I said before too, you've also been a freelance manager and I've worked with you. Of all of the things you've done, what is your favorite? Is it teaching? Is it acting? Is it singing? Is it performing? Oh, I love to perform. That's hands down, number one, my favorite thing. Um, So then when did you know that performing was going to be your dream? Like when did you know that this is what you wanted to do? It's funny because when I grew up, I grew up in Virginia. Um, I rode horses. Teens? Yeah. (laughs) Brian likes to make fun of me. I was was a beauty pageant queen once. Once. Just once. (laughs) Just once. So that was you were 18, 19? How old were you? I was 17. So you were in high school. I was in high school. You wasn't popular with the boys in high school, huh? Why I was. was like, did who? I mean, I was, was not you? not popular. I went to a private school, and there were only sixty kids in my class. You were a beauty pageant contestant, and you went popular in high school. I didn't tell anybody I was in it. <laughs> they didn't know until I won. <laughs> well, then you must say like you didn't use that as leverage for the rest of the year. You didn't talk to people about being Miss Teen South. It was, Miss, it, was, it was Miss Virginia National Teenager, and we, we talked afterwards. So, yeah, it was actually more credibility because I was going into college. That was more fun to talk about. <laughs> but, um, so then how did you get into it if you didn't want to tell everybody about it in well, high school? It's what really funny. Because, well, the thing is, is like, 
nobody really talked about it. It was kind of a joke, I guess, in my high school. Because, again, I went to private school. But I loved to perform. And so, to me, the pageant was like just being on stage. I grew. I rode horses. Like, that's all I did. I went and rode horses after school. I owned my own horse. I played tennis. I ran track. Um, I was the manager of the football team. I also, like, you know, I was really involved in sports. I played golf. Um, it was... It was I like to sing at the top of my voice and could recite every single jingle that was on television from like this when I was like five. The what min- was your favorite song growing up? Oh, what did you like to What did you I like could to tell sing you. the most? <laughs> I can tell you my favorite jingle. Oh no, Dis- Disney all the way because I mean you got to understand. I grew up with I grew up and saw like The Little Mermaid when it came out. And um, then you went on to sing jingles, right? You're very famous for one. <laughs> well, a, well, jingles. My favorite jingle was this. There's this ridiculous Clorox bleach jingle that I loved that I can still sing to this day, which I'm not going to do. Um, and I wanted to be a jingle singer. Like th- I thought that was so cool. But like Little Mermaid, when Little Mer- Mermaid came out, we were singing part of our world. At the Top of our lungs, and then Beauty and the Beast came out. And we, what I grew up with was like Disney waiting for each movie to come out. The way your generation, or not your generation, but the younger generation, waited for Harry Potter. Does that make sense? So like yeah. every book, and I was waiting for every song so I could just sing it. And then even at this national pageant that I went to, I sang from Pocahontas because it had just come out. Oh yeah, with the main song. With the what is the Colors of the Wind? Yeah, it was atrocious. I am a you know I was a very very Caucasian girl singing. <laughs> A very yeah, Native American. <laughs> I didn't win the national. <laughs> well, I thought you. Oh, you won. I won Miss Virginia. I did not. I didn't even place in the nationals. But um, anyway, so favorite song like the music I love. I loved. I loved listening to Disney. I was a Disney freak. And then of course, when you get your 16 years old and you can get your driver's license, like so Whitney what was Houston. Your favorite Disney movie growing up. Oh, Beauty and the Beast, hands really? down. Yeah, absolutely. Got my first cassette tape. With Beauty and the Beast. Yes, I said cassette tape. <laughs> well, no, I'm laughing. I remember those. Oh, I was 16. My parents took me just to Broadway for my 16th birthday. And on my 16th birthday, we saw Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. It was amazing. Like, and that was the that's reason so I wanted that's to... on and off. It's not right? anymore. It, it ended um, quite a few years ago. But that was the reason I started performing. I remember crying afterwards, like, in the, in the hotel, like, hoping nobody could hear me because all I wanted to do was be a performer. I was like, that's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. You wanted to be Belle. I wanted to be Belle. I tried to be Belle. <laughs> I auditioned for Belle, and then I ripped my hamstring <laughs> in the audition. How? How? That doesn't seem... I did it. That Broadway tryouts would be... Uh... Treacherous? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> Well, they were. Um, I, uh, I did a Sinead turn. Into a jump split for any of those dancer people out there. Say, into a jump split, but I did, <laughs> I did a turn, and okay. then I did a cartwheel into a jump split. I think everybody knows what a split is, yeah. but I did a split on the leg that I can't do a split on, and I heard pop. And at the time, I was actually in a Broadway show, my first Broadway show, and I all I had to do was make it back to the theater. To pretend that I hurt myself there, <laughs> because then you get workers' comp. <laughs> Look at that! The secrets, well, the secrets are coming out. <laughs> so, uh, what? So, what was your first Broadway play? Um, my first Broadway, the first show I did on Broadway, like an actual Broadway production contract, was Chitty Chitty Bang Bang in 2005. So, I did do a kids show, in it, but it wasn't Disney. Disney did. Disney um, had produced it, I believe. The movie, but they were not say, they were not part of our production team. So I did that for a year, 2005, all through the year from February until December. Then we closed, and during that time, I got a chorus line. I was hired as Judy Turner in the revival of a chorus line, and um, that was 2006 to 2008. And I did I played Judy Turner for two years, 
it was the most, it was the hardest thing I've ever physically done in my life. My body still hurts to this so day. So how many shows did you do a week? I do eight shows a week. On Broadway, you do eight shows a week. Um, you generally have one the day show off. show does or you do? We we do as performers. There's There are eight shows a week. So if you go to any Broadway show, unless there's like some special engagement that's usually like a play, basically what I would do, we you have um, one day off or and you do one day. Um, so you do so eight performances over Eight performances. So I do, we so do one. What, two on the two weekend days? Basically you have, mon- on a typical, it's not typical anymore, but typically you have Monday off, one show Tuesday, two show Wednesday. One show Thursday, one show Friday, two Saturday, and one Sunday. They can change that up. That's not normal anymore. Wednesday. Well, generally it's a matinee. They have matinees on Wednesdays, and matinees on Saturdays, and generally a matinee on a on a Sunday as well. I was going to um, say Sunday matinee makes more sense than a Wednesday. It's a thing. It's been it's been that way on Broadway for years and years, and they will, they'll always do that. That's just something that. I take it Broadway is very bound to traditions, huh? Like, you do stuff from the glory days, or is it progressive more than that? Like, how is when, Broadway in terms of, I, I don't know. Well, when I started, um, when I moved to the city, I moved in 2000, um, and I actually, it was more of a traditional, like, what you think of, Phantom you of the Opera. right after college. I moved right after college. You went to Florida State, right? I went to Florida State. Um, I got my BFA in musical theater. And I moved to New York City, and actually, I got my first job like within ten days of moving to the city. I was really lucky. You, <laughs> but I went and played Velma Kelly on the national tour of Chicago, the musical, for a year. So I was like, "Hi, New York. Just kidding. Bye. <laughs> I'm leaving." Um, that was the best, one of some of the best times of my life. Like 22, 23, touring the country and playing a leading role that was still on Broadway. But the traditions that Broadway was before. It was, you know, we think of Miss Saigon, Chicago, um, Phantom of the Opera. Now, now it's Wicked, and then it's like kind of changed in the past fifteen years, where it's become a little bit more pop, uh, pop, you know, heavy. You've got, you know, Rent came in in the '90s and kind of turned everything around, and they're like, pop, I want pop. Then we have like a Green Day musical, and then we have. You know, um, Spring Awakening and all these like crazy, and then all they're calling jukebox musicals, like um, uh, well, Mamma Mia technically is one. It's like using songs like ABBA songs for a, a show, and That's then a jukebox musical, jukebox had, musical. Like, so uh, Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages is a jukebox musical, but it's a little different because it's like creating a story that way. So we've got Rock of Ages, Jersey Boys, um, Motown. Um, there was another one that was just just opened um, I was in one this summer called Peace of My Heart it was all Burt Burns classic so basically yeah, I saw it. And, I and Bryant came and supported um, <laughs> but the thing is is that ultimately Broadway's changed in the sense that American Idol So You Think You Can Dance they've changed my career before you came to Broadway to see Broadway because you could, you didn't have social media, you didn't have YouTube, you couldn't Google and see all these people you actually had to physically put yourself in a seat to see it. And it was like the allurement was so beautiful and so exciting. It was it was tangible. Now, the accessibility that we have is, is almost too much, I think, which is kind of why it's sad because ticket prices are going up and people don't want to spend that kind of money and they don't want to see it, but they want to know... they. But they, they want discounts. So it's basically people jack these prices up so that way they can actually sell the tickets at a decent price point. So say a regular uh, seat is $150. Now you have a $150 seat, but if somebody's giving half-price tickets, you've got $75 somewhere, and then somebody goes, oh, just kidding, 40% off. So you're getting the tickets. The average is about $70 to $90, unless you're like a crazy hit like Book of Mormon or Wicked. <laughs> well, yeah, I remember a call-in to try and get tickets for Book of Mormon, and I think it was like... 
250 to 400 dollars a ticket yeah there's are, they're a little bit harder to get and more expensive well you know it's funny because i had wanted to talk to you about this and i think it works its way in two ways mm-hmm. is you played sports in high school mm-hmm. um and I want to kind of understand the correlation between being an athlete on a team and being a performer on a team. Interesting. You know, and strangely enough, I didn't play any team sports. I played tennis. I ran track. Um, I was never, I, I tried basketball for a second. I wasn't really that good at it. So um, the things that I did as an athlete, riding horses, they were very singular. And in a sense, I think that's very, very conducive to explaining the way it is, um, you know, in, in theater, in any theater, regional theater, um, local, off-Broadway, Broadway, there you're in a cast, and you have to work as a team, but ultimately you're responsible for your own individual performance. So it's you have to deal with people, you deal with personalities. Now, backstage is a whole different ballgame than what you're seeing on stage. Whatever the audience is seeing, I guarantee you backstage is probably crazier you know, we're supposed to put on the same show every night. Essentially, it's supposed to be the same show. Backstage, we have different conversations. You deal with your life. There's Now we have cell phones, so it's like a phone call rings. You might get a job in the middle of the show. You might get into a fight with somebody. Your costume might break. Like, there's so many things that happen that you have to be a good team player. And nowadays, because things are so fast and furious, because people don't want to spend the money on long, extensive rehearsal periods... Now, reputation backstage and reputation of being a team player is just as important as your talent. Well, so, you know, with the creative people casting you because they don't want to deal with problems. Just make sure it's recording. Perfect. Um, um, I guess the reason or the way I wanted to phrase this now is... Do you consider being on stage at all like a competition? And the fact that I think that's why you have such camaraderie in sports. You have a direct competitor. So I feel if you're part of a stage show that maybe you could look at it as it's like you and your teammates kind of fighting against the audience because you all have to work together to put on the show. And we all know if a performance doesn't live up to someone's expectation, they can turn on you in a heart so it is kind of like a competition or no. I, I don't think we're competing against the audience because usually, you'll ask any performer, we feed off of the audience. You if work the audi- together. We, we work together because, oh, let me tell you, like Friday night audiences it's usually the businessmen who have been working all week. They're exhausted. They're tired. They've had a couple of drinks. So it's like a tennis match, huh? One-on-one? You work no, there against them? it's not. We're not. There's no against. Without we're the audience against. without the audience, there is no performance. You, you know, yeah, fine, I can perform if there's nobody there. It's like, you know, <laughs> nobody, you nobody's going to see it, right? Yeah. So, but the thing is, you can feel their energy. You're, you're combining all of your energy on stage and hoping that the audience is, re- you know, that's the laugh. You know, I make a joke, hopefully the audience laughs. If I'm upset, hopefully they're feeling it. Like, it's that kind of thing. So you want to feed off of each other. There's no competition in that respect. There's The competition in my business comes in the auditions. That's competition. And then also when you're putting together the shows, you're competing as to... Some people think that 
standing in the front is the most important thing. Listen, the older you get, trust me, being in the back and being able to get off stage easy and not being in all the scenes, sometimes it's not a bad thing. <laughs> no, I was going to, as you said, the only time you're really competitive is the auditions. So is it strange that you're super competitive against this person, say, on Beauty of the Beast, but then you're both on The Little Mermaid together, so then suddenly oh. you're fighting and then you're like well, together. But this is part of the business. This is what we're taught. It's what we're taught. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've had tons of women that I've been in dressing room with because, listen, I, I, I don't compete against the men. I, the only time I interact with are my partners and they have to lift me. And then, then we that's just a safety thing. But when it comes to any of the competition, it's, you know, the women. Because I'm not going to be hired for a man's role. It's just plain and simple. I just am not a man. Um, and the competition, it's... Sometimes people don't give it up. Sometimes, you know, the, and I'm going to say this, and I'm not putting these down, but generally younger people tend... you got a scrap. It's like, you came here. No well, one's taking this away from you. You're fresh. You have that... They don't have... Feisty. They, they're feisty and ready for the... They're ready for the hunt. They're ready for the, the fire. They're ready for the excitement because they don't know any better. They haven't been knocked down a lot. They haven't been told no enough yet. They haven't been through, like, the actual trials and tribulations of living. Sometimes mom and dad are still helping out. The older you get, the longer you work at it, you realize that you have your audition, you're going and competing, but all you're doing is competing against yourself. My goal in an audition is not to beat the person next to me because I'm Heather. That person's, you know, Jane Doe. I need to go in and do my best. I went in for an audition for Mamma Mia this morning, and the only person that I was trying to make do, I was trying to, my, to do my best because somebody else is going to choose me. That is not, I have no control over that. But what I can control is I can control what I do. No, I think that's really awesome that you said that because um, that's how I felt when I was trying to get jobs and I was sending out cover letters. And my cover letters tend to be more personal and I take a little bit more of a risk. And I always looked at it is that if 100 people compete for this job, I have 99 reasons that I'm not going to get it. So I'm just going to be myself. Of course. And so it sounds, too, like the older you get, you also begin to realize that although you're in direct competition, you're also working together because the better quality product you put on a whole gives you more opportunity. Absolutely. I mean, you're always trying to put out your best. And, and that's the problem. People forget that you're you're up there to do your best, not to beat someone else, not to, um, you to win the game. You do it because it makes you happy. It makes me happy. And, it, and if I'm doing my best and, and I'm making my creatives happy the creatives being like the director music director um choreographer then hopefully that that'll rub off onto the audience if the product is good you know i can't always control i mean i've been in four broadway shows and i would like to say that two of them weren't exactly successful because they weren't you know was unfortunately line your favorite um favorite show i think chorus line was my favorite just because it was as far as Broadway shows, I mean, I have other shows that I actually, like, I loved. Chicago was my favorite. Like, I've done Chicago twice. I did it when I was 22, and then I just did it this summer, and I played Roxy. The first time I played Velma, and the second time I played Roxy. And they, those two bookended of my careers, unfortunately, are the best things I've ever done because they're, they're roles that I, uh, I uh, understand, I enjoy. What did you think of the movie? Did you like the movie? I loved the movie. Did you? The movie was done beautifully. It really, really was. Is that? Do you think then that that is the best Broadway like movie adaptation? Oh, that's that's such a subjective question. Um, <laughs> Personally, then, um, I, I definitely think that uh, that uh, Chicago has been one of the most successful 
Um, they've because here's the thing. Well, cabaret is also fantastic too, but cabaret and Chicago lend itself to that kind of. It's almost movie script-like, if you will. It's hardly... Yeah, I just saw Into the Woods, which a good friend of mine is in, too. And although fantastically beautiful, they had to cut it down to make sure that, um, you know, it wasn't too super long. And You know, like, kind of speaking on that, as I tried watching Hairspray, and I thought it was really, really terrible. And the reason is, is because you're telling this big, broad story, and, like, on a stage, your device is to use a song to speed up time, but in a movie, it just looks like you don't have enough material. Like, you know, a movie has more plot, and it's just, like, that's why, like, I think, like, Hairspray to me, where it tries to be more of a movie... Right. It's just, like, I don't know, I didn't... Well, um... the reason that music is supposed to come into any show is, is you know, I, I'm getting off on a tangent here, no, away from what we're talking excited. about, but the, but music is supposed to, it's like, the reason we break into song is because we have no, we, we can't speak enough anymore to explain ourselves. So it's supposed to be, like, the next level, where you just said, like, the movie... You know, you're like, it feels like it had no, it was filling up stuff. I'm like, well, that's not the reason it was there. It just seemed like it was like, we have a giant plot hole to finish or to fill, so let's just sing a song, and all of a sudden, hey, next thing that works, like, um, it's kind of tame. Well, I mean, that but, was just but my again, personal thing on here. But here's right. the thing this is a subjective, yeah, totally. it's a subjective so, art form, you know, yep, that's the nope, thing. 100%. Some people like it, some people don't, and that's totally understandable. I mean, I love the show Hairspray. I wasn't a huge fan of the movie, but it it was because of other things, not because of the plot. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be so, but yeah, anyway. I'll be so subjective. So, too, I want to understand, at what point when you were performing did you realize that it was like, oh, I'm making a living out of this? Uh, like, when? There was no... Here's the thing. Well, you went to Florida State, and then you moved it from the city, and it sounds like just right away you were like, nailed it. Well, well, uh, I don't know. Nailing it? it Well, you got got a job right away. That's always a plus, right? Well, the thing is, is that I didn't... It's it's funny. People people who aren't in this business kind of like, when did you think that you were going to make this your career? Like, when I started doing this on college, I never was like, this isn't my career. Like, this is. This is who you are. This is what I wanted to be. Like... We understand as performers that we're not going to be working all the time. Like there was never, there was never a doubt in my mind that this is what I didn't want to do until later, which brought me to believe it or not, you and, and you know where I worked as an event planner and, uh, and an entertainment coordinator. Because I just I was that young kid, that scrappy kid who thought she knew everything and didn't care and was like just ball, you know bulldozed through everybody and auditioned as much as she could and. That's what I did because that's what I, I... I never thought of it as, like, I might make it. I was like, I'm making this. This is happening, you know? It's later when real life, you know, I've had a life. I was married. I'm no longer. Um, I had... I owned property. You know, you have... Those are when you realize, oh, wait, sometimes you have to separate this is my job versus this is what I love and remind yourself that you love it because I love to perform. You know, but I also have to supplement. I mean, I have to teach. I've gotten the street cred, you know, with the Broadway shows to be able to teach. And and then the reason, I mean, I was working as an entertainment coordinator for um, an advertising agency for a guerrilla marketing campaign because I was in between gigs and I had six weeks and they needed a six-week entertainment coordinator and they needed somebody on site. And I was like, boom, here I am. And they hired me. So that's what, that's the way I fill in the gaps and to be able to continue. Now, when it came to you and, you know, when I started working with you, um, the reason I decided to start working, it was actually, it was 2013, 
It was the end of a show I was in called Soul Doctor on Broadway. I had hemorrhaged my vocal cord. Like, uh, for those of you who <laughs> care about what it basically, you know, it's like a big giant bruising on your vocal cord. Most people, it doesn't matter. For me, it could have, if I didn't shut up, literally not talk and wasn't silent for four, four weeks, I would not have been able to sing again. So I took that to heart. I was quiet. Um, I had been approached by somebody uh, that was interested that I had performed for at a corporate event. Because not only do I perform, you know, regional theater or Broadway, but we also, corporate event is like bread and butter sometimes. Because it's quick, fast, and usually, well, high paying. Um, and you work for like a you know, couple days and you make, you know, whatever amount of money depending on the gig. And you're like, great, well, that filled up that week. I made my quota, if you will. But anyway, when I hurt myself, I, I was starting to reevaluate what I meant in this business. I was, like, I was like freaked out. I hurt myself singing, doing what I love. And I didn't really care for the show that much in the sense that I, it just didn't, it didn't get my juices going the way I wanted it to. And so I thought maybe, maybe it's time to move on. Maybe it's time to find, like, what do you do when you can't dance anymore? They asked that in Chorus Line. And I was like, maybe I found my, what, what do I do if I can't dance anymore? And I'm like, I've always loved to plan events. Whenever I was in all the Broadway shows, the um, publicist always came to me and was like, can you organize this? Can you put this together? Can you come and interview this people? Can you, can you be the liaison for everybody for this? We're having this corporate event here. They want to have a couple people from Chorus Line. They want this. They always came to me because I was always willing. Like, there's not a lot of actors sometimes, they, you know, ego does come into it where they're like, well, I don't want to go to this event and not get paid. I'm like, heck yeah. What am I doing tonight? Nothing. So why don't I go to this event? Why don't I go meet people? Because I love people. I love meeting people. People are fascinating. They're interesting. They have different stories. Some people are great. Some people are terrible. But they're all interesting. So this this was kind of thrown in my path. And, and I said, you know what? Why not? Why not? Why not do this? And so there began my, uh, my career as an entertainment uh, coordinator and event planner. Well, uh, what's one lesson then you learned being on the other side that helped make you a better performer? What do you mean? I'm, I'm, I'm saying, so was there anything when you started managing? Oh, you mean you mean yeah. what on the event planning side Sign. made me a better performer? Yes. yes, actually. What I realized, and, and, I'm not, and I'm, I mean this by no disrespect whatsoever, but in the event business, because ultimately everybody's trying to make money. You know, like, yes, we all love the art form and we love creating beautiful you know, landscapes and, and getaways for these clients that we have. We think they're fantastic. It's so much fun and it's like great creativity. But when it comes down to it, we're also trying to make the money. And even though I wasn't in the position to like, if I sold something or if I sold an idea, I would get, you know, a commission on it. What I was seeing was, is that I was hustling, hustling and trying to get my boss to, you know, to make money. And Unfortunately, what I saw was, is it was to the detriment of the performers that I was hiring. And, it, and they didn't know that, you know, they, they only, they already have their set fee. That's fine. Um, you know, if, if, if say a performer charges a thousand dollars, um, they already charge that thousand dollars. They know they're going to make that. That's what they're getting. But what I was seeing was the other side of the business between like battling between the client and, and me trying to have them pay a little bit more with commission. And I was having a hard time with that. But what I realized is that I can hustle for myself just as well in my entertainment field and get myself jobs because I can put myself out there and go, Hey, listen, I'm a really great product. You need to hire me. And that's where I, that's what I took back. That's the biggest thing I took back from it. And being able 
to sell myself and be confident in my own my own product, me, because I'm my own product, and selling, you know, that. And that's that's what I took away from it. Well, you know, and it goes back to what you said before. Uh, you were the one that publicists came to, and you were the one that they asked questions to, and you could really see how key it is just to be reliable. Mm-hmm. You know, because yes. people, I'm sorry, on, like, I guess the artsy side sometimes We're considered to, flakes. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, so, uh, now a good transition is... Uh, so what is the balance then? How do you deal with trying to give the talent what they want to be happy, but not push a line where it's just like, we're not friends, like you're getting hired for this job? Well, the thing is, is that you have to understand first and foremost, most talent, they're performers. Performers are different kind of a different breed. They live, breathe, and their bodies and their voices and their emotions are their product. So you're not just you know, you're, when you, when you're dealing with them, you're dealing, you're not, you're dealing with the product. It's as if you had like a crystal glass that you bought and you, you know, you didn't just kind of haphazardly stick it on the corner of a table and oops, I knocked it over. It shattered. Well, <laughs> a performer, you put the, you put them in a place and all of a sudden you knock them over, you've bruised their ego. They get pissed. Their ego gets in the way. Their ego goes to you. Like it's that kind of whole thing. So you have to be careful. You have to think of them as being like crystal or glass where I'm not saying that they're fragile, but I'm also saying they're fragile. <laughs> like, and, you know, the things in riders, like for example, specifically for the entertainment, when you hire them, the reason the riders exist are not because they're just like, I want all green M&Ms. Like that's not just stupid and flippant. It's because we actually need this. I'm a girl. There's a couple things I require in getting ready to perform at your event. I need to be able to see myself in a mirror so I know what I look like. So I present myself well. Um, I need to make sure if, if I'm in a, a position where I need a microphone, that the microphones are working, that I can hear myself and that the audience can hear me. I also, unfortunately, I'm, I'm speaking from a female perspective, I have a lot of hair, I have to put on makeup, I need, I need a plug. I need to be able to plug in like hair dryer. I need to plug in a uh, you know a curling iron. I need to make sure that I can see myself getting ready. So light needs to be there. These are things that people kind of take for granted. They're like, oh yeah, here's a space for you guys, and you're like, uh, there's no plugs, there's no mirrors, there's there's nothing here. Like we only need even one, but we just need it. Like it needs to it needs to be there. We need a place to sit down because if you're a performer that's standing up the whole time, or if you're dancing, you can't go back and just not sit down. Um, think about the bodies. I'm, if I'm dancing and kicking my face, which I do on a, all the time in these shows and corporate events, I need to be able to be warm because I'll hurt myself if I'm not warm. You'd be surprised how many times I get stuck near the kitchen where it's freezing. There's no plug, no mirror. It's cold. I have no place to sit. And I'm about, and they want me to go do pirouettes and kicks and splits and jumps and sing and, you know, belt out Wicked and Alphaba and I, I'm like, you, you, but you're putting me basically in what you would consider a dog cage. <laughs> so, like, and then the other thing is, like, for performers, the majority of them, it's some form of their body, like, we need to be hydrated. Water is often forgotten. Water is key. You have to have water for these people or at least a way to get to it. If there's a water fountain, fantastic. Bottle water, obviously. And that's why these are in riders. Most of the time, you're not going to see in a rider... You know, and nourishment. 
if there's food to be had, I know I know it's not always you know there, but if there's food to be had, you don't want your your performers to pass out because we didn't just come in and just it wasn't like a hey great to see you twenty minutes before we were uh, or performing. We actually walk in, we have to do a sound check, we have to do tech, we have to make sure everything's okay, and that usually takes, you, you know, several, you have to get ready. There's a lot of hours between the time we walk in and the time we go on stage, and if there's no food involved, you might get a really, like, lightheaded performer that might faint, you know? It's just like the better you treat your performer, mm-hmm. the better performance you're going to get. And then, you know, in, in, in addition to that, from being on the event side and having been a manager of these people, you know, being a coordinator and a manager and watching you know, trying to be the liaison between the sound company that we hired. Because not everybody travels with their own sound. Sound company, making sure flooring's okay. If you're da- if you're a dancer, if you're like in a band, as long as they can sit and nothing's going to fall over, we're okay. As long as they can see their music, great. Those are a little bit less. But if you have like performers, dancers, singers, and they can't, the floors, if there's like an edge or a lip or something you trip on, I cannot tell you how many times I've actually taken a tumble because... In front of people, because you know the floor is uneven or the small details. The small details. You look, you got to put yourself mm-hmm. in the performer's shoes. And in like even I guess real quick from a planner side. So as Heather talked about, a dancer in the floor. You know, it's not hard for you to go to the venue and walk on the floor. Exactly. And you don't need to dance. You don't need to jump. You don't need to spin. You just have to see if I walk and I trip. What the hell's going to happen to the performer when they go? Exactly. And and also, you know, specifically, Brian and I. Did a we did an event together where I performed and I managed. That was a day. Everybody was like, "Oh God, oh God, you're doing what?" I'm like, "I'm gonna be fine, guys. I'm gonna be fine," because and because I did all the pre pre production stuff for it. I I think it was one of the most seamless things I've ever done as a performer. You're like a field general. I was a field essentially because I knew what I was dealing with. I knew that the sound the the place that we were having it at was like a really weird sound situation. Like it had this crazy like 200 foot dome and. If you're a performer, you know that sound goes all over the place when you want it to go forward. And if you have a dome and it's going straight up, it was going to be echoey. So I, I knew to tell the, the performers ahead of time, this is what it's going to sound like. I walked in. I knew that the, the, the stage was going to be set ahead of time, and they were going to put the Marley. For those of you, it's, it's a flooring that we usually dance on. Marley was going to be put down, but I, there were bubbles in it. We had to make sure that they were flattened out. I made sure there was water backstage. I made sure that there were mirrors. And, if, and I also walked in, and I was like, hey, there's no plugs anywhere. We, the girls are going to need to curl her hair. And they had all that ready when they that came. It was kind of a weird event, huh? It was, it was a like super a weird event. networking event, and everybody was on this outside bubble. It was a really strange. Like, yeah. Nobody was really paying attention to us. But ultimately, <laughs> but the sound level, and then here, here's the thing. I think a lot of the times, because event coordinators, you know, there's a lot of ego out there in general. <laughs> You know, the, the presenter has an ego, the the event planner has an ego, the sound guy has an ego, the head of catering has an ego. There's, like, all these people that have to get stuff done. What people don't realize is, like, we're all in this to make this good. So if we can just all take what we Back do... That team concept, I It's a team about. concept, but it's also realizing and trying to... I think you have to be really... A, aware of other people's personalities and how they deal because for example Bryant and I having you know been team members he's extremely detail oriented and likes to write things down so what what's really good with Bryant is he'll give you step by step by step but you you know sometimes he gets so oriented and, and I'm not making fun of you this is like me honestly he gets so detail oriented that I have to make sure that I'm following him so I'm like wait are you specific, you know are you talking about the water that goes in dressing room A or B like something simple like that 
And I know that all I have to do is ask to make sure, because Brian will go, he'll take a breath and go, mm-hmm, I got it. Yes, I need, you need this. I'm like, great, moving on. And that's because we, we saw each other work, whereas our, another one of our colleagues, he, he could tackle 600 things at once. It was amazing. Like, but at the same time, if you didn't catch him and stop him and go, wait a second, I need to know what you're doing right now just so that way I can get it done to make sure that we're not like doing by accident we're both doing the same thing and we're double checking by accident you really gotta stop every now and then take a deep breath move yourself from an event and make sure you guys are working together and Mm -hmm. not overlapping Uh, so now I kind of want to step a little bit away from just uh, the event management side and Mm -hmm. talk about a performer uh, the performing side you said you've worked plenty of corporate events I've seen you perform as a Broadway doll Uh, I know (laughs) you're also a doll you were also Lady Gaga, I remember for Oh her god, I was, oh my god, that was hysterical. <laughs> so how so what are like the usual how do you usually perform at events and well, where they act? There you know, unfortunately there is no I can't give you an a usually. Like there's no usually. There's always well, I guess the most you were most often did corporate events oh, as the yeah, Broadway yeah. doll or like as by yourself. Well I think what I'm what I'm saying is is that there's no normalcy to a corporate event performance. It just isn't because you're dealing with either like a, a big giant ballroom, maybe a small back room. Maybe you're in a humongous um, casino that's been converted into something else. Maybe you're in a restaurant. Maybe literally like we, like you and I worked with at the Dome, we were in a museum. Like, So you know, is that harder than, do you think, could corporate events necessarily be harder than Broadway because of the venue? But well, Broadway's longer. So the show itself be, is harder, but you have to be more adaptable to be a private performer? A corporate event performer has to be more adaptable. You have to be willing to, to, to like, things happen and let things, you know, uh, if things go wrong, you have to go, okay, let's MacGyver this out. We need to figure out if, if the stage is too small or if you have speakers in the way, like, you need to be able to change on a dime. When you're, like, there is no comparison between this and Broadway. Broadway is, like, you know, apples and we're talking about, like, palm trees. Well, yeah, so I was laughing. I don't mean, I try and make things make sense by calling them back to things I get. And so I said, to me, a performance always comes back to a sporting event. And like, to me, Broadway's almost like your home. You're performing, you know, it's like, this is my home. This right. is home field advantage. Right. And then like a private event's more like you're an away team. Like, um, it, I definitely, yeah. I would actually say it's way harder than the away team because let's be honest yeah. here, in general, if you're if you're on a basketball team, yeah. you you the know court the court is the still the court. court. It's the same. It's there's regulations for it. You but know who only knows what you're gonna get yeah. when you're performing. Yeah, when you're performing, like your your dressing oh my God. room, your I, green room. There's no sometimes there is no dressing room. Sometimes like <laughs> we were in China doing something and there was literally no bathroom and there was a hole in the middle of the floor and it was insane. Every time we have different microphones every single time, so they have to you know EQ them or like they need to make sure that they fit our voices every single time and I mean I is have is there a set microphone that you would recommend or is it no, really everything it's every, every different event has a different every, every it depends on gotcha. what, what the venue has it depends on what the sound person has but that's definitely important lesson for you to connect with whoever your entertainment is make sure that they have the mic that they're comfortable with because this is how yes. they're going to project and interact with the crowd absolutely and there, there are some uh uh, performance performers. There's a group that I've personally worked with called the Company Men, um, and they have 
all their choreography is based around these quick-release microphones. Stands, not the microphones themselves. They can put any microphone that's that's a wireless mic in the stand. But the thing is, is most people don't have these quick-release microphones. So instead of just relying on the venues, even though it's in their contract to have it, I think you know they they they, they have to. They always bring them because if they don't have them, their entire job is it becomes like fifty thousand times more difficult. So those are really specific. And, you know, sometimes people say they have them and then they don't. We always ask for backups. Sometimes they're like, yeah, we've got backups. We get there. We only have, you know, we need, like, great. We, have, we need five mics and then a backup. And then we have four. It's amazing how many times you so sign a contract. event lesson, though, yeah, is have that in writing and it just, like, It doesn't matter. People still, you know, it's really? funny. We say that in writing, but um, I, I've been on several events where in writing we need to have five specific types of microphones and they have four and they're not the right types. It doesn't matter. People seriously, I no offense, but I feel like a lot of clients don't read the contract. So let that be a lesson. That, read the contract. You client people yeah, read so the contract. You have a better event. Or if you don't if you don't have what we ask for, discuss at length <laughs> what other options that could be. Because usually these people, because they're used, to, you know, these performers are used to being in really difficult situations. They're willing to adapt because we all want to make money, so we're willing to adapt for you. We just need to get be given ahead of time instead of walking in the day of and go, oh God, what am I going to do here? There's a giant pillar in the middle of my dance space. Yeah, that's a better lesson, and that's not strictly to performers. That's really any event or project management. So you just have to have clear communication. Yes. If you can't do what somebody is asking. Let them know beforehand so you could work together and have a solution because the worst thing you could do to anyone, especially someone who has to go up on stage, is just surprise them with this giant obstacle that very easily been, could have been discussed and addressed ahead of time. But ultimately, and what Brian's saying is ultimately, though, what we need is to... You're, you're, we're a representation of you. Uh, we being the performers are a representation of you. And we, the event planners, are a representation of the client. And if we don't perform correctly or well, then it looks bad on us. So we don't... That's what the communication for. It's not because like somebody needs to be right. It's like we need to put on the best show we can. So why don't we get all the information we have ahead of time? Now, clients are really difficult. Like I think you and I one time were working on something, and we, we had this crazy ballroom somewhere in New Orleans, and we were trying to figure out if this one thing that we had hired was going to fit from one room to the other because even though the rooms themselves were tall enough to fit this like particular performance piece... The 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 uh, not what is it called the, the, oh, the archway the, the archway the archway the between the two of them it's like one of those typical ballrooms that you can open up and make the it the entrance is the entrance yeah. yeah we didn't know if we could get it through the entranceway well after several phone calls to like the business like the building administrator you and I found out because it yeah it gives the dimensions of the room but we didn't know if they could transverse into that other room and well we found out very quickly when we called the building administrator that no you couldn't I think that was more you and Ouija I was kind of drawn out of that yeah. side. well I did it well so I did because I was like wait a second this thing is literally 25 feet tall and now I know the ceilings are 27 feet tall 
but there's a support beam structure somewhere here. Yeah, and- but even that's the funny thing is it's like you as a planner, I guess one more quick lesson is like don't assume that just because people answer your questions, they answer them correctly, which is a... They did, yeah. You know, there, just, well, there was. The ceiling was 27 feet. But I'm just saying like you as a planner too, like try and think of that. Just like because some people might just see like the entranceway, but they don't think about like if the ceiling hangs down. So you don't really try and think of all the angles. Uh, but all right, I'm getting off topic. So... Right, um, I want to kind of get back and let's kind of start wrapping this up. Yeah. I've, I've had you for a while and I thank you so much. But now let's kind of talk about stories from being on the road. Um, okay. <laughs> so what is, you talked about being in China and not having a bathroom. Oh you talked about being in like uh, a kitchen pretty much to get ready. So what is that one was, horror story that oh. comes to mind when you think about that? Oh my God. Okay. What specifically? And see, listen, this is a different country, so I can't really blame like <laughs> when we were in China, we walked in. They had had a, um, I don't know if it was an event prior to us. It was it was actually a theater-type situation. But what they had done is, because they were having a festival in either the day before, or it was, no, it was the day after, they had this humongous drop tarp that had, you know, an advertisement tarp that usually you fly in front of a building outside that's, like, roped up. Well, they had made one for inside. Well, in China, apparently, you have to fireproof everything. They fireproofed this drop, and they had rolled it up. It was the most noxious fumes. Like, it was toxic. We walked in, and, like, one of my friends, Nicolette, she was like, I'm going to pass out. We and this was the same place that had a whole like, was a, like there was a two the entire room. It was like no, it's like they they fireproofed the entire room yeah. with like that's a toxin. Uh, yeah. There's a like that's we were inhaling it. Probably we, should have been aired outside. Oh my god, it was awful. We were dying. We did a full two hour show, choking. We would come off stage choking. Um, there there was a time that I got the flu. It was actually for the um, it was in uh, Chicago. Uh, when we were performing in Chicago, I got the flu and I was so sick. I barely made it on stage. I was dying on stage. It was like, I mean, th- those are personal, I think, issues that happened. I'm trying to think of the other things that were crazy. Oh, I remember having to, um, you know, sometimes when you're, you're with superstars, they don't want to be, they don't want to be talked to. You can't look at them. It's like really strange, but yet we're supposed to be on stage with them. That was when New Year's Eve we did. We couldn't, you know, we couldn't talk to any of the people from. We were working with Shaka Khan. <laughs> we couldn't. We weren't allowed on stage until she was on stage, and it was like really crazy back and forth. Um, I've changed in so many different places. Like I actually probably could change in front of Bryant right now, and he wouldn't even notice it <laughs> because I have perfected the art form of changing and not revealing any body <laughs> body parts because I have to do it so quickly. The skills you pick up in life, oh. huh? Skills and you know what? And you also have to really read your audience. Like, I'm kind of known as the girl that goes in and, like, talks to everybody and sings and, like, pulls up the guy and sits on their lap and all that silly stuff. You have to know, like, really quickly if your audience is game for that. If you walk in and everybody looks freaking terrified, go back up on stage. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Like, horror stories. The thing is, the horror stories are, it's constantly changing. There's nothing horrific other than the fact that I'm just constantly on my toes because my microphone my, my microphone might go out because it's a really crappy microphone that the sound guy has. He might not know that I'm there. The wrong music might play, and I might be, oh, just kidding, this isn't mine. 
take it Chelsea. And she's supposed to sing, you know, defying gravity. And I'm out there, you know, you have to just be ready for anything because you can't be pissed if things go wrong as a performer, as an, and as an event planner, you have to be ready to change it and be willing to adapt. That is what, you know, poor story or not, it's, you have to be willing to change it because the client doesn't know what's going on and they're just going to be mad. So you have to be able to make a joke out of it, you know, diffuse tension, be ready to be ready to jump out on stage yourself. You know, if the band, if you're supposed to have a band playing and the band microphones all of a sudden go out, be ready with a backup playlist so you can put some music on and play them over the loudspeakers. Like be able to do that. Think ahead. Think, think ahead because human error is number one and you just got to be okay because people love it when people try to figure things out. You know? So, yeah, getting away now with the horror stories, let's end on this. I want one story, not just like one specific story of one highlight that you just remember, like from a show at night, like out with your friends after, like something from life on the road. Okay. What is one um, real highlight story? I was performing with the Broadway Dolls, and we were in Michigan. Um, again, the Broadway Dolls is a you know corporate event. They do they do full length two hour shows, but we also do corporate event stuff. And we had done a couple of different. We were in Traverse City, then we were in like where the Michigan State is. I don't not Ann Arbor, East East, East Lansing. Lansing. I was in East Lansing. Home of the Spartans. I was in East Lansing, and we were in a performance. And I my solo came on. I was singing. I could have danced all night from My Fair Lady. And what I do is I usually go into the audience and I talk to them. And it was ha ha, ha funny. Well, in the middle of my song, like I'm starting to sing, I could have danced all night. Okay, I'm singing. My mic goes out, and it's like it literally sounds like this. Like I could have, like it was one of those. And so you see somebody from on off stage like waving another microphone. I was like, great. So I grabbed that microphone and I was running into the audience, like laughing with two microphones, making this crazy bit out of one of them not working and one of them working. And we, the audience was howling with laughter. I would come off, I would ask people questions and give them the other microphone so that way that it wouldn't come back. And and I ended up singing the entire thing like with both microphones, not showing which one was happening. And the audience was howling with laughter. I took something that a lot of performers would be totally pissed that their microphones would be out and I turned it into one of the most brilliant pieces of theater I've ever done in my life because they're like I had people come after me up to me afterwards because we go in the lobby and we always greet everybody and they're like oh my god was that planned that was amazing it was so great I can't believe you were bouncing two microphones you were singing in two of them and you ended in a split what and I was like, no, that wasn't. That was me having a great time. And because the audience, instead of, you know, I didn't want them to be like, oh my God, her mic's not working. I made a joke out of it. Let's make it funny. Let's make this happen. If, if it, this, there's not, both of these microphones are screwing up, let's make this happen. And it did. And it was one of the most brilliant comic pieces I've ever had in my life. I wish somebody had videoed it. I hope somebody does. Well, you know, that's like, it's perfect. Uh, Ryan Oaks last week had talked about he had this crowd he thought that was totally against him. And at the end, they really loved them. And it was one of his favorite events. And like what you just talked about, sometimes if you could turn a negative into a positive, you remember it most because you overcame the obstacle. You didn't let this challenge beat you. And because of that, uh, it ended up being pretty special. And that's why we hire live entertainment is because we never know what's going to happen and we'll end it there so i really want to thank heather and thank you all for checking out the second episode take care bye